You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike. Hey, welcome to the Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez, and before we get going, let me introduce the guys. Over here on my right, we've got the one and only Bobby Osinski. Hey, Mike. Hey, everybody. <laughs> and then across the way, we've got the one and only Scott Gershon. Hello, everybody. <laughs> I hear everybody's version, you know. Hey, Nathan. Hello, everybody. <laughs> and then, so I got to find my own voice. Okay, you should. After eleven years, I know right. it's been it's, <laughs> it, it's your voice. And then we have a special friend of the podcast joining us today, also Mr. Michael Bard. Great to be back. Thanks. It's good to have you back. And then finally, over here on my left, we've got the one and only Iron Man of the Audio Nowcast. I've never missed the show. This is 187, Mr. Rob Arbiter. Hello, everyone. And I'm here in person again, aren't I? That's right. That's great. Excellent. So we don't need the blow-up doll anymore. (laughs) (laughs) We don't. (laughs) (laughs) And joining us today, we are really honored to have an amazing guest, uh, producer, engineer, and he's in town. And uh, I can't say enough good things about him and his work, Mr. Richard Chickie. Hi, everyone. How are you doing? Welcome. Richard, welcome. (laughs) So we're going to be spending the second half of the show talking to Richard and talking about, um, he's worked with some amazing people, and I'm sure he has some great stories. And so uh, we're going to be visiting with him. Um, But right off the top of the show, I have a few things I want to talk about. Uh, Number one, uh, really special guest that I have here today is my brother, Ben. Ben Rodriguez. Who's, uh, hey, ben. Hey, hey. Hi, brother Ben. Okay, you get you get one opportunity to ask him one question about me when I was a little kid. Okay, so anybody, you get this is your only shot because then I don't want any more embarrassing stories. Oh, that's just too big of an invitation. <laughs> 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 nice. Time's up. Okay. No, that means we're going to ask 50 questions during the break. You <laughs> <laughs> right. should have given us warning on that. I know. That's yeah, right. Because we could have come up with something good. I, <laughs> discuss that over dinner. That's yeah. right. Um, the other thing, too, is I wanted to mention that uh, today uh, is um, Young Marshall, my intern for the summer. It's his last podcast. He's doing this. So, so let me sad. let me ask you really quick, so Marshall. Not that I'm going to put you on the spot, but mm-hmm. just tell everybody why it was so awesome to intern with me this year. <laughs> <laughs> it was a life changing experience, and it's um, you know it's the one thing I'll look back on when I'm old and gray. Yes, but was it good? <laughs> was it no? Seriously, how was how was your intern? What what was it? What you expected? Yeah, absolutely. I think it was better than what I expected. I feel like I've I've grown a lot of my skills. I'm actually, you know, getting my hands on on real stuff to work on, and it's exciting. Yeah, Marshall is was working on projects by the time it's uh, all done. You know, he's he he went all the way from young buck to working on real projects. And the reason why I wanted to point that out and wanted Marshall to talk about it a little bit was because, you know, we have a lot of students that listen to the podcast. And if you're going to intern and everybody, you know, should do some type of intern, be hands-on and be, um, just be willing to work. Because if you're willing to work, there's people out there who are willing to to take your skills and help you out. Because I find audio people are really generous with their knowledge, right? You don't find too many guys who are like, I can't tell you that. You know what I mean? It's because they're pretty open, right? Wouldn't you say so, Bobby? Uh, the ones that weren't particularly open are no longer with us. Rudy Van Gelder is the one that comes to mind. 
who never told anybody anything about what he did. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? In the age of Pro Tools, it's really easy to open a session yeah. and see everything. See every move. You're seeing everything. You're like, oh, okay. You know? So, uh, Marshall, we're going to miss you. But uh, thank you for your time this uh, this summer. You did a great job. And yeah, you'll remember so it when you're old and gray. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Which in the so audio business me. will be in a few years. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I got a couple of things I want to talk about at the at the top of this session. But one thing I want to bring up, and I'm sure everybody has a story about this, and it has nothing to do with tech. We're going to talk tech and gear in a second. But today I was in a session, and... There, you know, when you work with clients, there are clients that you call gatekeepers, right? They're between you and the eventual clients, right? And gatekeepers have this tremendous amount of power to like or dislike whatever you're doing, right? They're the ones who give you notes and things like that. And today I worked on a, I'm not going to say anything about the spot or anything <laughs> because I don't want this to come down and haunt me, but I worked on a spot. It was a 30 second commercial and I will tell you it was no, I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> it was a 30-second career. Let's put it this way. And I did the mix, and it was it was a great mix. It was, And not just because I mixed it, because it was exactly um, what it was supposed to be. And the guy who was the gatekeeper came in and said, you know what, can we bring all the music down? And so I brought all the music down, and it just sounded really horrible. Isn't that what they always say? Yeah, it just sounded... And I, and I tried to say, I go, look... You know, when you play this on your iPhone, when you play this on a small speaker, you're going to lose the music. It's just going to be a guy talking above the music because the voiceover guy um, did the voiceover. And you know, sometimes how when you do a voiceover, there's a certain amount of energy that needs that support of the music, especially if you're like, hey, come see this, blah, 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 right? When you're up like that, you need to have the music up. Well, the music was up. It had that energy. He came in and he totally told me to like to bring it down and not like a little. It was like six or seven dB that I brought it down. That was significant. And it was like a guy yelling with a little bit of tin in there. And, and it was like, oh, man. and I'm like, here's this guy who's between me and the client. And he makes these decisions, and it's just point. So when the wrong. client heard it, did he say turn it all back up? I, I don't know because it went out to the client. So this happened today, so I don't and know. And you'll be doing it again, no doubt. <laughs> but I might. But and then some, it makes you look bad. But you know what? Sometimes yeah. you don't do it again. Sometimes the client doesn't know. The client will just say, okay, great. You know, they rely on us. It's like it's so frustrating because you're sitting there, and, and I'm, I'm trying to tactfully say, you're wrong, but you really can. Ultimately, you you don't want to push that envelope because because you can be right, but they'll never work for you with you again. Exactly, yeah. that's the whole right. It's the that yeah, whole. But the way mm -hmm. the way to be right in that situation is to nod your head and smile, and then after they leave, put it back where it needs to go, <laughs> and then send it out. You know, I wish I could, but in this situation, they will listen to the final file before they go out. So they're literally the gatekeeper, and it just—I tell you, man—that that just irked me so much and it's like talk about being in a situation where you're like i mean i'm sure i'm richard i'm sure you probably had a, an incident or something like that where that person just says something after you like make something or got a tone or something for me it's law of averages you know <laughs> there's uh most clients that i that i have are pretty they they, they want to express themselves artistically yeah. so you know and i i work with bands where you know, the, the artist is controlling the situation. So it, it, you know, they usually just deliver to the label as opposed to them being consulted. Well, that's true. I mean, that's true. You were, yeah, but, so for but the most part, it's a non-issue. You were just telling us over dinner though, yeah. the, the situation with the mastering. Yes. 
where they well, wanted that, some, that, that's something that the client client wanted and it was, uh, uh, mastering was too safe, but it's one of those things where I just sat back and it, for me, mastering studios are out of, side of my element. If I go into somebody else's mastering room, so I'll go back in, uh, let him do his thing and then listen to it later. And it was a client that made the decision though. He says it should, should be louder. So and that's fine. You know, there's, it's not as loud as some of the stuff that's out there. So. Yeah, uh, uh, just to preface. Louder than some, but, you know, louder than some stuff, but definitely not not abhorrently loud. So just to, to preference that. You, Absolutely. You, you mentioned that he he originally wanted a lot of dynamic range I, until he heard it that way. And then I, it was. Yeah, I think that it, it's something that has to do with the language of what somebody understands. Um, say, if, if somebody wants to have perceived loudness and what, what they want to have, if they want something loud, and you say, well, I'm going to have to compress this mix or whatever. And so I don't want it compressed. So yeah. it's just kind of, you know, I'd like the table black, but I don't want it dark. <laughs> <laughs> black is dark. Uh, so, well, and that's fine, you know, but it's just, you know, the important thing, you know what, if the client is happy and, uh, and once it's delivered and it's out there, you know, w we could have the discussion about this. If it sells 40 million records, it's great. <laughs> right? That's true. So we're, we're all, we're all going to be really happy yeah. about it. You know, I mean, there's records that we can listen to that have all these little technical aberrations in them and they're absolutely massive records. So who, who are we to say it didn't stop it from selling? So well, that's true. Right? You know what? Maybe the music needed to be down seven. So, <laughs> and you know what? You can always fix it in mastering. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, I just wanted to bring that up because that was a, a little thing that, um, uh, that just really just bugged me. Um, one thing I want to talk about was, um, I actually went and uh, I picked up a really great plugin, and I'm gonna. Um, I picked up Adaptiverb, which yes. we were just discussing this over dinner. Oh yeah, uh, it, it is, and and I picked it up because we we're talking with, and I picked up Wormhole too. Cause yeah, because I talked uh, about last on the last one, right? It? Because yeah. of Barry Rudolph, and he was, he did a review that's supposed to be coming out. And let me just tell you, every once in a while, you'll get a plugin that. You're just like, why didn't I use this earlier? And that's the way adaptive verb is because it's so musical. I mean, it's the most musical reverb I've ever. Why don't you tell a little well, okay. bit about it? Well, yeah, it, it's it's great reverb because what it does is it takes out the transients. And tell me which company it, it's Zenaptic. A Zenaptic, yeah. It takes out the transients and it basically keeps the tone of the sound. And I I don't use it for music, but I sometimes use it for foley where I don't want to have every single little footstep or every little piece of metal ringing out. I just want the tone of it. So it, it grabs the meat of the sound, reverbs that, and it, it just basically gets rid of all the transients. And musicality, it actually finds the pitch, and it just accentuates that pitch. Yeah, it's, and it's it's wonderful. It's gorgeous. I mean, if you want to take a keyboard and make it the most luscious thing ever, man, you use that reverb. It just adds this. It, it's like a reverb and a luscious tone kind of put yeah. together. I, I don't even know how. Yeah, to do I think it also has pitch detection in it as well. Yeah. Yes, but wait. So, are you listening to it by itself? Or are you listening to it in the track with other I, instruments because, you know, that could actually be detrimental. Right. It all depends. I, I've, I've listened to it by itself, but I've also put it on a couple of mix and a couple of music things that I'm it working on. And it doesn't clash. Yeah, it doesn't. It's really, it's really smooth. I guess that's the best smooth, way. Yeah. You know how sometimes plug-in reverb just has that edge yeah. that has that, like, it just like. Uh, it's like a sign that says I'm reverb. You know, it's like it would be the equivalent of the SBX 90 reverb back in the day, where, where you're like, 
that's kind of reverb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, um, it, it's not like that. It's really, really smooth. It's like, it's just smooth and luscious. Yeah. And, and it just, you can make drones. And, and actually, they took that technology and they made Wormhole, I, I believe. Yeah. Yep. And that's where Wormhole came from, which does some all kinds of crazy cool stuff to your it's pitches, your, your, your original sound. You can freeze sounds and have it kind of loop in tones and... It's a very interesting sound design tool. It's it's great for sound design. It really is. It's like it's great for music, but if you're a sound designer out there and you need some inspiration on, and you want to take your ordinary swoosh and turn it into something really extraordinary, just any one of those. But the fact that it doesn't hit the transients, because you know how sometimes with a reverb, that you all you hear is that attack. Sometimes it's just you know, and it just carries for days, and and you're like, man, I wish I could just edit that out, you know. And well, sometimes I put an EQ before and after the reverbs. Yeah. The EQ, because I'm not sure how what I want to excite, so I want to control that, and then how I want to shape it afterwards. Yeah, and uh, it kind of does that a little bit for you. Well, that's something that that, gee, back in the '60s, and even now, Abbey Road, the secret to their reverbs is the fact that they did that same thing, where yeah. they they'd roll off at 600 cycles on the bottom and 10k or 8k on the top, and and you know, there's your Abbey Re- Road reverb. Yeah. So, but it's the same thing. It's how it excites the reverb because it was always in the front. Abbey Road, they always get all the tricks first. <laughs> well, now you can have an adaptive verb. It's it's a great reverb and it's cheap. It's like two hundred and fifty bucks. It's like I mean, it's it's just remarkable. And actually, Wormhole um, is like one hundred and seventy dollars. It's yeah, it's, they're just great manglers. What does Wormhole do? It's a pitch device that takes you into some really strange places, <clears throat> so it can. Wormhole does so much. Yeah, they market it like it creates drones and it creates ambiences and it creates based you, off. You can of take a sound, time. freeze it. It's kind of like the freeze thing, so you can take it. But the thing is, you can start pitch bending. Oh, and so it's it's kind of like you know in the Eventide we used to close your eyes, spin the wheel, hit load, and something cool would come up. Yeah, yeah. And then you play the wheel. Yeah, this is kind of that. Yeah, it's it's. It's a effects processor, but its yeah. strength is it if is the long tails and the long reverbies were and those um, are both synaptic. And they have morph too, which is I would love. Oh wormholes even type. No, 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 no. that's fission. Oh fi- oh no. I'm sorry, okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's an app. And Fission's great too, by too the way. Too many plugins. <laughs> but you know right. Everything's deverb. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You, you, as a sound designer, I think one of the th- great things, I think, in the last six months, it used to be I have so many LA2As, 1176s to death, and everything's compressors and EQs, and I, I have too many. But what I found I didn't have were manglers. The old even time, nobody was really doing things that really distorted and created a new sound. And now I'm starting to see that, you know, with fission coming in and wormhole. And there's a lot more plugins that are starting to do some really interesting things. Because how much more can, how many more compressors and EQs can you make? So, yeah. Oh, do you need? Yeah. I mean, we we were talking, we were talking about FabFilter. Yeah. But every once in a while, I, Go ahead. I didn't mean no, to. No, no, you're saying that. everything once in a while? No, I was going to say, when you said how many EQs do you need, it's like you think you don't need a lot, but then every once in a while you'll see a fab filter or like a surfer EQ where technology well, just like. Yeah, I mean, I, again, in that, I think that I said that before fab filter. Fab filter came out. But I think there's also important that, on one hand, you want to mangle and you want to do something cool and, and have that new sound that nobody's done. 
you know, I'm, I'm special effects. However, maybe just because I'm getting older, but there's something elegant about simplicity where there's some plugins that have so many things to touch and then you lose, you just don't know what you're doing anymore. And there's some things that are so intuitive, like, like we were talking about FabFilter. You see the EQ, it's just, it's, it's fast using a mouse. Right. It's fast. It sounds good. It's easy to use. It's intuitive. And it just feels like an extension of yourself. Okay, Scott. Well, that begs the question. But I do use a lot of other EQs. How much time do you spend actually mangling something up? I, I mean, it, it, are you limited in time or can you take as much time as you want to get the sound you want? It depends on the project. I think on films, I get as much, well, nobody gets as much time as you want. But sometimes I have to do it in minutes and sometimes I have to do it in weeks. Um, and from the TV side of things, like if I'm doing a national brand, I'll know I have one day. So if you have, if you have, let's say they have, yeah, we have one day for sound design, then you basically have to budget your time. Well, do you go out the list then of what, of the things that you know you have to do? I kind of do a little spotting section on yeah. my own. It's just me working. Yeah. And then if I have to do something like for Toshiba, one time I had to come up with a robotic bee. Um, and it took me, and I talked about this on the podcast, it took me a couple hours to do it because, you know, a bee is like a fly with laryngitis. So, and then you <laughs> got to make it robotic. And so it's, it's. It, you just have to budget your time because you know that you also have to have the ambiences and you have to have the footsteps and you know and all that other stuff and so, um, yeah. Sometimes you have to do it on the fly. Yeah. I mean, I just did a whole bunch. You know, I, I did I did a bunch of stuff just recently for Marvel and Comic Con, uh, which I can't talk about what they are. Um, but I had to create a whole character teleportation, creature sounds, and said, yeah, what day or two? And, you know, and, and oh, by the way, I want to make it where we've never heard it before. So <laughs> you can't use anything you've ever used. And I want a unique signature that when people hear it, they'll know that's the character, that's the voice, and nobody's ever heard it before. And well, you have a whole day to do it, so. Yeah, sometimes. I, I'm saying that with a smile. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. So, so sometimes you just sit there and you go, I, I, I'm not sure how I'm going to do this. So then you take out and you put granular synthesis and you start tweaking things. Oh, and by the way, it's got to be organic, of course. No. <laughs> Nothing's digital. So, so that takes out like 80% of everything you could think of. Mm -hmm. So then you got to start finding things to manipulate to, to do that. Is that where you break out your mouth noises? I do. <laughs> I, have, I, have a full, I have a full rack. And you know, it's funny, it's funny that you say that because it started with Honey Shrunk the Kids. I had, um, they wanted an ant. Auntie, and I said, "Well, now it's going to be mad. Now it's going to be happy. Now we're going to ride it, and it's going to be frustrated." And I'm like, "Because I'm thinking, okay, I've got a crustacean, and it's going to creak, and and I was trying to do the logic on it, and they said, screw it.' So I went to the director, said, "I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to do it." So I did it. Came in a week later. He goes, "I love it. What is it?" I said, "Don't worry about it," because the moment he knows it's a voice, he'll go, "Yeah, yeah, I don't know." Yeah. So yeah, a lot, and I've done that for thirty years. You know, was it was it you doing the voice? Were yeah, you? I'm an oh, I'm Auntie, I'm Flubber, I'm, <laughs> I'm 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 the Dragon and Shrek. Yeah, I you know, that. it's like all that stuff because you don't know. You know, make it like the Dragon's gonna be ferocious, and then it's gonna be really nice. You know, and you're like, oh, okay, I'll take out my Dragon preset and say nice. You know. <laughs> It just doesn't work that way. You know what? That's why you always have a really good microphone in your room because you can do stuff oh, like Oh, mics. That. Absolutely. Oh, <laughs> love it. Yeah. I've, I've done a couple animated things where they've missed the line and I've just gone to the booth and 
did it and pitch changed the voice and there you go there's the line you know and you just don't say anything and you got to be silly about it because like when uh, i did chronicles of riddick and they showed riddick in the womb it just happened my wife was pregnant so i grabbed these body mics and recorded my son in the womb <laughs> and that's the sound in the movie Wow. <laughs> so you know that is cool seducers baby <laughs> wow. he could have got his sag card from that yeah, we, 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 I was going to say, say like, <laughs> can we fight that is he, is he alive is he yeah, yeah. <laughs> argue that one. Uh, I, I just find like time management you know when you're doing sound design is a, is a really big deal because you, you know when you have all the time in the world I also find well, the time from you start yeah. to the time that you leave to the time you start which could be minutes <laughs> but, <laughs> between the and coming. But don't you feel like sometimes if you have a lot of time, you just start going down alleyways that that if you didn't have that time, you wouldn't go down. Like, yeah. like just using like plugins and trying to do weird things and you know I flip phase and crunch and do this and do that and all kinds of stuff. Just to just to artists that have their own studios basically have yeah. the album that goes on forever. That they yeah, can never exactly. Finish exactly. But yeah. you know what we did and we did this at Rob's house. Um, we were doing Chronicles of Riddick, mm -hmm. and I was. We were taking like guitars, destringing them, Marshalls, and two guys would flip even tide and pitch it down for spaceships and the all these crazy things. We basically used every gear we could find in Rob Steers. A lot of gear. That's and <laughs> yeah, that's that's a lot. and we've had a cello and we've done everything. Anyway, what's important about that is then you get the movie and you go, oh, eighty percent of it I can't use just because it doesn't work, but then. I did Star Trek, and I went, oh, I got this great library, and I need phasers and photon torpedoes. Guess what? Hey, <laughs> some of those sounds we never used. All of a sudden. That's true. You build your yeah, library. Yeah, now it's weaponry, you know? Wow, now it's weaponry. That's, yeah. that's an awesome. Can, can we use that quote? <laughs> yeah. Spock, break out the weaponry now. <laughs> Richard, you're a funny guy. We <laughs> <laughs> see more often. But, but, but see, instead of plugins, maybe maybe we're using the wrong terminology. Mm. Maybe it should be called weaponry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Choose your weaponry. Yeah. Like well, yeah I, anyway, I, I wanted to talk about those two plugins because um, they're amazing. They're really great, and it's just I love creative plugins. I love plugins that that you know cause me to be more creative. And once you hear something, and it's like. Oh yeah, it's great. You know, you go. For See, now you got to get into guitar pedals. Pop that in because there's some badass pedals out there now. You got to put that through Pro Tools. Oh, I don't know, but that's, <laughs> that's that, that's just like then you just have all this board of pedals. You know who has a lot of guitar pedals? Martin has a lot of guitar oh. pedals. Like he has this literally a bookshelf of just nothing but guitar pedals, guitar pedals, guitar. It's crazy. I need to go of. over there. You do. You need to. He has a pretty cool setup. Richard, do you have any um, go-to plugins? What are a couple of your Good plugins, or do you like them all? I have a lot of plugins. Uh, I'm trying to think, <laughs> trying to think of how many. Uh, let's let me let me try and pare it down a bit for what application. Uh, let's say um, mixing. You know, if you're doing uh, not a live mix, but you're doing an, a studio mix. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of different. Uh, God, I got a lot of different plugins that I use. Uh, I have. Uh, I use a lot of stuff from UA. And they've got a uh, yeah. There's an amazing catalog of things, anything from reverbs to, um, you know, they have uh, a lot of the, the they're, they're doing product emulations. They've got the SSL plugins, a lot of different things. There's a, uh, one of the companies that's associated with uh, UA Brainworks, uh, they have a new uh, plugin called a Console E. And, uh, oh, yeah. And that's, that's a really, that's, that's that's a really great sounding plugin as yeah. well. I, uh, I got on board uh, when they were uh, uh, 
doing the development of it and you know it's spectacular they've gone through and um, uh, I guess sampled a, a console but they do all the channels it's the it's the SSL e series yes right yeah now. but they they've, they've done all the channels individually so if you put in if you instantiate uh, 64 instances of the plugin all 64 instances sound slightly different Wow they sound slightly different yeah, so you, yeah. you it ends up being it, it's it's a cumulative effect but it's it's very realistic you know um it's very realistic and so it's it sounds really great I don't have that feeling of of each channel being identical right clone so, so conversely you know you might do drums and you have to figure out okay you know what I really like the way my kick drum sounds using channel 7 wow you know, because yeah. it does change. Uh, what I what I ended up doing is there is oh, a man. randomizing function that would randomize all the instances of the plugin, and I ended up just going, just clicking through them and getting it to randomize over and over again until huh. I started to get. You know, I just went, this sounds better than the previous one. So I mean, I wouldn't go through and write everything down, but when I hit on something that I liked, then I would just go back and save, write down. Which and channel would it recall? And it would recall it the same every it. time. Yes. Wow, that's like that's so, just blowing my mind. So that's that's amazing. Uh, the, I mean, the the, the uh, because of the I guess I, I don't I don't really use hardware that much when I'm mixing anymore. So I mean the UA uh, the UA the SSL bus compressor for the UA has the latest version. That's also really great. Yeah. Um, let me think. Uh, the Brainworks um, they have a uh, the HG two. Uh, the black box. They did a copy of the black box, which is a it's an analog harmonics generator. When it when it's used very gently, is is really great. It's really good for smashing the snot out of snare drums as well. <laughs> so that that's also real. But it, it's 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 a, it's actually very musical. Hmm. It's very musical. Hmm. When it's used subtly. It's really great on a mix. So there's so many plugins out there. I mean, yeah. there's tons of different reverbs. We were talking over dinner Spectra. Uh, uh, Liquid Sonics. I'm sorry. The Liquid Sonics Reverb is really great. Their Bracasti copy is great. The um, hmm. uh, I mean, the, the Relab, the 480 has been out for a while, but the 480 is really great. The VSR 24 that they just came out with, which is like a TC 6000, that's also really great. So I mean, there's so many possibilities out there. It's really pretty pretty easy to get lost in. <laughs> that's great. I'm, I'm curious. Do you you have obviously your favorites and ones you know work for different purposes? Mm -hmm. Do you ever force yourself? Sort of out of your comfort zone, or when you uh, have a have one that works, that does it be like does no. it remain your go to for a while? Uh, you know what? That's a really great question, and I, I will go through configurations. Uh, like I know what my safety zones are, mm -hmm. so I will actually go out of my way and try things. And once in a while, I'll go, "Wow, this is really great!" And I'll fly the plane up into the sun, <laughs> and once in a while, <laughs> once in a while, I'll put together something, and and I'll go through what you do and what you'll do in uh, in your specific realms of the industry and I'll listen to something I'll put in tons of hours and go, I really don't like what I've done. I'll save this for another time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, so, so there are things, I mean, there's happy accidents. There's things that I'll end up doing that, you know, I'm overloading something somewhere and I'll, you know, vocal is cutting more than it was before. I'm going, okay, I like that. What am I doing? Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, and looking all of a sudden I'm pinning a meter somewhere and I'll try and turn it into something that's, that's, uh, you know, it might not might end up adding a saturation plugin instead, but it'll inspire me to try things. So mm -hmm. I always try to, because there's so many tools at at disposal. You know, just to ignore a lot of them for the for the sake of it making it easy. Yeah, I, I think that's that's doing a disservice to the whole process. Mm -hmm. Do but, you do uh, do you do much parallel processing? 
Great question. Yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of uh, parallel uh, compression and sometimes parallel EQ, but yeah, a lot of parallel compression. On what primarily? A lot of things on bass, on vocals, uh, on drums. A lot on drums. Um, I'll do multiple tiers where I'll subgroup. Uh, you know, drum the, with the drummers I work with. There, a lot of microphones and a lot of channels. So I'll end up subgrouping down to just a few few. Channel end up doing tom subgroups, and then I'll I'll do parallel compression on uh, snare sub subgroup. Sometimes on kick, depending on the player, and sometimes if the guy's got a really consistent foot, I don't. But if he's moving around, just keep the energy up. Don't notice it in the uh, with drums by itself. Once in the track, you know, you're all of a sudden you're fighting with the bass player. So try and get it so he's as consistent as possible. Well, that's great, man. It sounds like you have a really good little arsenal of go-to plugins and, and things of that nature. You know. I loved everything you said, but the the best thing about what you just said was when you were talking about over dinner tonight when we were talking about plugins. I mean, what a great dinner to have gone to with you guys <laughs> <laughs> talking plugins. Yeah. <laughs> Do you like using the FabFilter compressor? Um, you know what? I use the limiter. I don't. I don't use the compressor. I haven't really dug into the compressor yet. So because I know that's one of the few compressors I've seen. I've seen them guitar pedals, but not plugins that have actually have a mix, mm -hmm. so you can automatically. Put the dry. Oh, you're back. seeing that more and more on plugins now. Yeah, where you can yeah. do the, the I just like that. So you kind of yeah. go. Yeah, it's parallel so compression. Like built, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's like, like built-in, built-in parallel problems. Yeah. Absolutely, especially that's, that's on, pretty common though. That's pretty common with the uh, with uh, compressor plugins. Yeah. I'm starting to see more and more. Yeah, around. and it's a good feature too. But I end up using two separate channels. Usually, I'll I'll duplicate the channel. Yeah. Because I, if I do a channel that's really compressed, I'll usually EQ it a little differently, and that you can't do if right, you just have a mix control yeah that's true so i usually sure. have two channels where you know say plugins one two and three are the same on both channels and then i'll have uh i'll have a, a compressor that's really working hard and then i might do a little bit of eq after it but that eq i don't want on the smash channel and yeah. do you find you have a template of your favorite setups or do you take each song and project uniquely and and say I want to approach it this I have way. a number of different templates that I use. So I, I have, uh, like, say, one that I'll use for uh, live, right? It's a lot more console-like. Right. Right? And I'll have, uh, depending on the type of music that I'm mixing, and I end up doing stuff that's, if I'm doing stuff that's fairly heavy, that's going to be different than if I'm, if I'm mixing, say, a country record. So I'll use a different set of plugins for that. Um, you know what? We're going to take a break right here because that is actually a great question because that's going to lead us into when we start talking about some of the projects you've worked on, um, live versus studio versus some of the other things for TV broadcast. And so we're going to take a break. And then uh, uh, when we come back, we're going to continue to visit with Richard Chickie. So we'll see you on the other side. You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Westwave Audio. Have a question for the panel? Would you like to be a guest on the Audio Nowcast and live in the LA area? Email us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back to the Audio Nowcast. And uh, before the break, we were talking plugins. We were talking all kinds of fun stuff. Um, and before we uh, start visiting with Richard, uh, 
I, I have a really good story to tell um, because my brother's here, and this is in honor of my brother. Um, there was a time when I was on the road, and my brother used to shoot documentaries, um, and there was <laughs> a time um, when I was in Monte Carlo, and uh, I was with Stevie Wonder, and they handed out the room keys, and I got a room that faced the garden, did not face the bay. And I was upset. And I was like, I want to face <laughs> the water, right? So I'm, I'm, well, as soon as I saw my room, I'm getting upset because I'm in Monte Carlo and I'm facing the garden. And then I had this moment of realization like, what am I doing? I'm in Monte Carlo and I'm going to complain about face in the garden. Meanwhile, over in Brazil, at the same time, why don't you hop on Scott's mic and tell, tell him where you were at. I was outside of Rio de Janeiro. We were filming a, a project of favelas in, in uh, Brazil and I was in, in uh, probably a 15th or 16th century a church staying in the rafters in a little monk cell at the exact same night that he was complaining about that view. <laughs> <laughs> I had bugs and creatures and all kinds of things <laughs> running over me. You I, got a better story. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> little monk cell is going to be my new reverb preset. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just named your new plug-in. <laughs> yeah, that Thanks, was, Mike. <laughs> yeah, see, it's all perspective. But uh, yeah, that was kind of funny. Hey, um, but let's, uh, <laughs> we're going to segue. Uh, let's I want to hear this segue. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of little monk cells, <laughs> let's talk about Canada. Oh, there you go. <laughs> no. Oh, Canada. <laughs> no, but Richard, let's, let's, um, let's start from uh, how you got started. I mean, uh, just so you guys give you a little background, I'm going to brag about you. I'm Richard. Can um, you say it with a Canadian accent? Uh, actually, actually, if we're going to talk about Canada, everybody has to speak in a Canadian accent for one full answer of your questions. Oh, man. Is that a good deal? Uh, okay. No, we need a full IC. Hey, like, we just want to, like, try out our plugins, eh? Bobby, you're up. You're up next. Oh, man. Come I on, can, man. I can only speak in a Pennsylvania accent. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, everybody should be forced to speak in the worst imitation of their own native <laughs> accent. Good. I, can, I can barely speak English. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but Richard, you know, he's, he's mixed rush. He's mixed live albums. He's mixed, um, dream theater. He's done live mixes for both those acts. He's worked with Aerosmith with Mick Jagger. um, has just, if you go to his, his discography, there's just tons and tons of really great albums, really great things. And, um, and Richard, why don't you tell us how you, how you got started, how you got in the business and, and how it led to where you're at right now. Just how we got started. I, I started recording, uh, because that's what I thought musicians had to do. My my background. I mean, I'm well before the existence of schools. So when I uh, when I was playing guitar, I thought that you had to record yourself. That's that's how I got into this. So I um, I I would uh, I, I had taken a a, a gig at a, a friend of mine had a rehearsal place that my band was rehearsing at as well, and uh, he said, you know, if you want to let bands in and out. Oh, by the way, there's a studio here. So you know, if you want to. Uh, if you want to screw around? Just screw around and don't break anything. It was a it was a small it was a sixteen track place with a with a Fostex uh, sixteen track. I can't remember what the model was. B sixteen was it maybe? Okay, mm -hmm. and uh, so I'd be recording, and but I started get traffic. You know, the artists would uh, you know people be rehearsing, and you know they would poke their head in and see what's going on. And I started to get uh, uh, guys that would come in and say, "Hey, do you want to record us?" 
yeah, sure. I was just doing what I thought, I guess, what I thought sounded good at the time. And uh, I started getting more and more traffic. And, of course, those bands were sending their things out to try and get record deals and would end up into some of the local record companies. I started to get calls. Uh, uh, I started to get calls from record companies to, you know, we, well, we've got this band that we're developing, so do you want to do a few songs? And so that's how I got my start. Hmm. Right. And, uh, as, as time progressed, um, I, I got to a point where my, uh, my music be playing in a band. It was, it was fun and everything, but I was recording so much that I just kept, kept going forward. And I, uh, started work with, uh, uh, guitar player named Jeff Healy. And, uh, the great thing about the whole Healy camp is, is they really loved working with marquee producers. So I started to get exposed to uh, guys like Tom Panunzio, Joe Hardy, and these uh, guys have made some, some really great records. And uh, there was a um, producer named Marty Fredrickson. And Marty was this young, hot songwriter at the time, and they, they wanted to work with him. And Marty had, uh, we had a good time working together. That's when I, I sort of broke broke down and said, okay, I'm getting a Pro Tools rig. It was like a blackface 888 rig, you know. <laughs> State of the art, <laughs> state of the art. And, uh, so we did, uh, we finished this, uh, Jeff Healy record and, uh, Marty had this, uh, this little bit of a draw and he's like, Hey man, we're going to work together again sometime. And he sort of, you know, you hear that in the industry and, and it's like, awesome, man. Well, give me a call sometime. Didn't hear from him for about 10 months. And, and one day he just called me and said, Hey, I'm doing drums. Uh, I need you. To, I like the way you do drums. Do you want to come down and work with a band? And uh, I had a work visa to to go down to the U.S., but didn't have any projects yet. And uh, so I was like, yeah, I'll do it right away. It didn't care about the money. Yeah, I'll do it. And I said, who's the band? Said, it's Aerosmith. <laughs> so after I changed my diaper, I said, yeah, this is, this is great. So I went down for for the five days, uh, went down to uh, uh, record down at, uh, what was it called? Long, Longview Farms, I think it was. Oh, geez, yeah. 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 It was back in the before the, time. They were yeah, push the dinosaurs out of the way and yeah. get into the studio. Um, so went down, did five days at Longview, and uh, at the end of the five days, Steve, uh, Stephen and Joe took me aside and said, "Hey, you know, do you want to stay on the projects?" And it was eleven months. Wow! Yeah, so it was 11, 11 months, and and uh, the song the song did fairly well, I and mean, the record sold sold pretty well. So what, was, what record it was, was it? It was just Push Play. Oh yeah, okay. it was. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, so that was a, that was kind of like the div the dividing line, and then you know once you have something that's charting really well, it's just stay busy, jump from that. I think we, I can't remember what we did next. I think we went right into Mick Jagger after that. And wow. A bunch of different artists. Yeah. Okay. Well, what's it like? Excuse me. Let me jump in no, here for no, a second. No. No. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what's it like working with Mick Jagger with someone from the Stones? Because that's a whole different level of <laughs> rock and roll royalty. It's awesome. It's great. You know, it, it's. It's everything you would expect. You know, he's got, uh, you know, when I had, uh, when I had the call to do that, they, we, we would get information sort of pre, pre-information about what his expectations are for the session, you know, but I mean, just treat him as well as anybody, treat him really well. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's not really, he, he's a singer I mean, he's a singer. So just make sure everything's set up. You know, make sure he's well taken care of and everything. It was a very smooth session. Great guy. Really great guy. You know, it's a lot of fun. 
you know, we were trading accents. So I'd, I'd, be, <laughs> I'd, I'd be doing an accent and he would come up and he would try and do his, that was an American classic. <laughs> would, you know, when you hear from a British guy, it's, it's pretty yeah. funny. So, we, you know, we had a lot of fun together. So there's a, on the internet, there's one of your interviews. I think it's music radar where you talk about working with Mick Jagger uh-huh. and the fact that he wanted a big vocal room. Yeah. Big vocals. Big vocal. He moves around. He, he his performance is, is like live. He really he gets into it. It's like a, it's amazing. Both him and Steven Tyler's like that too. It's like a switch, you know, where they're they're uh, they just turn on the the X factor just gets clicked on and they do their thing. You must see that with Stevie Wonder, right? He does mm-hmm. his thing. It's all of a sudden it's that whole amazing thing. Turns it off and says, "Yeah, could I hear that?" Back? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right back to regular. Right. Day. That's it, it is. It's literally it. That that out of the the biggest difference I see is that ability to turn that star power on and off, where it's just a natural thing, you know, and it clicks on, and all of a sudden there's that the whole he does all the grooving and moving, and you know he's he's singing away, and then you know I'll figure I'll like to hear that again. Well, let Fantastic. me let me ask you about an, another group that you worked with, which was Rush. Uh-huh. Um, how did that start? And I've got a lot of questions, you know, after after that. So let's how to start with Rush? Yeah, how did you make that connection? <clears throat> I got a call. Um, the, there was a uh, the tsunami in the Middle East in two thousand four. Okay, uh, they were Rush was going to do a um, they're doing a charity event that was it was part of a broadcast and. Uh, friend of mine who worked in the rush office had said that there was a, uh, uh, they were booked into a studio to do, it was a live recording, but it was studio live recording. And they said, well, this is, there was a, a pop engineer that was a staff guy that was on the session. He said, I don't think he's the right guy. Do you want to do this? There's no money. I'm thinking, Hmm, rush. Yeah, I think, I think I'd like to work <laughs> with them. So, so that, that's how I got in. I said, of course I'll do it. So we, uh, did the session and me uh, had a great time. Me and Al Lifeson, it was, it was awesome. Like I, my stomach was hurting from laughing. He's, he's they're they're all funny guys, but he's particularly funny. So we had a we had a great time. We had a good connection. So did that that broadcast, and then about three months later, um, Al called me uh, to connect up for uh, for coffee. And we started talking, and he had mentioned that uh, uh, that R thirty uh, DVD that they had recorded, but they hadn't mixed it yet. So, um, I told him that I mix around in, in pro tools and he didn't think it was possible to make some pro tools. Hmm. So I, I packed up my rig, which is, was much larger physically than it is now. I packed it all up and I brought it down to his studio and set it all up and just played him a bunch of sessions live so he could see it running. And, uh, he just asked me if I would mix the R30 thing and that's. That's how I got into it with him, and it sold pretty well. So, we still work together. <laughs> now, let me ask you: working with Rush and working with Neil Pert, and you hear all these stories about Neil and how he's kind of private and and he's kind of guarded, and and then he's, I mean, come on, when it comes to drummers, he's he's on a whole nother level. He's just so revered. Uh, how was it the first time you you worked with him? How how was he? You know, when you were setting mics up or having to set mics up around his kit and the very first. Okay, well, I worked with him on the um, on the tsunami um, broadcast, and uh, he after they had finished. Uh, doing a take they came in to have a listen to it and they said i said to neil I said, great take neil he goes right 
<laughs> and I went, well, uh, that didn't go over so well. <laughs> <laughs> but having said that, you know, it was, it was fine. You know, it's just didn't have a lot to say. We actually didn't start talking until I, I mixed the whole R30 DVD and then we got into doing uh, Snakes, Snakes and Arrows, which was the next studio album. Right. So during that whole R30 DVD, he signed off on it, but I, I didn't have the direct sign-off from him, but I just had heard he signed off on on uh, on it. And when we were uh, setting up for Snakes and Arrows, I used a tape measure to align a lot of the overhead uh, microphones, and he decided to come in and start warming up while I was setting up. And I'm thinking, well, I have to set up. And he's here. So I went, I'm going to set up. So he's literally starting to play snare stuff. And I'm putting a tape measure right into the center of his snare drum <laughs> while he's playing. He's looking up, but he, he was cool. Everything was cool. And when we started, uh, uh, we started working together and, um, uh, Ged had, uh, there was a, a picture, uh, of a, of a model. And, uh, I had said, wow, very calipigious curvy bum <laughs> and, and so neil all of a sudden says you know what that means <laughs> and i looked at him i went are you trying to tell me it takes me like a four or five syllable word before you start to talk to me <laughs> and he just goes he smiles and goes yeah something like that <laughs> and then after that everything was awesome as smooth as silk but you know what all the guys they're really funny right they're they're really funny they like to have fun when they record so all of that's it's fantastic. It makes for a really creative environment because when you want to try things, you know, it's a lot easier for having fun rather than it being a stressful situation. You get that feeling actually. I, I watched their movie. Yeah, yeah the movie's and, great. And, and it, it just felt so light and, and except for the, the heavy parts of Neil and, yeah. and but it is, it, it, yeah. it is. They're all actually, they're, they're a lot of fun. So it's it, incredible. I mean, it's, it's a lot of work, but it, it's incredibly easy if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, because it, just because it's so much fun, you know, we, we laugh about it. You know, if there's something that, you know, setup's taking a long time, you know, there's, you know, we all throw out our, our, our one-liners and stuff. So it's, it's great. It's great. It's a great creative process. Um, I, I got to ask this because we're going to go back to Mick Jagger for a second. Um, I, I toured with Rob with Stevie Wonder, and I remember the first time I went to rehearsal after setting up all the keyboards, and um, Stevie walks in. It was like, you know, it was one of those moments that I'll never forget. The hair on the back of your neck, you're like, oh my gosh, I was Stevie Wonder. Was it similar when you saw Mick Jagger because of his pedigree and who he is and the Rolling Stones? Or, um, or were you just really cool? <laughs> <laughs> Which is okay, too. <laughs> you know, I didn't feel... I just double-checked everything was set up. Everything's set up correctly. Everything works correctly. After that, I'm fine. So that sort of thing. He comes in as like, it, it, but it's literally come in, great. Let's start working. So everything had to be set up. There's no, no second guessing. No, hey, I just have to do this. That was, but to do that with all artists, so it's not really right. Yeah. Not really that big a deal. Now, see, the, the interesting thing is, uh, do you know Ed Cherney? Yeah, yeah. Ed told me the first time he worked with the Stones, uh -huh. which was entirely different. Uh -huh. And he said what happened was they got a call. He was working with Don Was at the time, so uh -huh. both of them went over to, to do the record, and they went to Paris. And the Stones were out in the studio, and they were running a song down, and he said the two of them got behind the console, and they, they, they got down, and he goes, 
do you know who that is? And they, they privately freaked out for like five minutes before they, their heads peaked up again and, and then they started to work. I can imagine the band. What are they doing? <laughs> Why are they under the console? Smiling. <laughs> well, let me, um, I, I love these stories. These are great. I want to get into uh, some some meat and potatoes uh, because you have such a great uh, discography. But one thing that you've done a lot of is is these live albums. You've mixed some some really great live albums. And I want to talk to you about your approach of mixing a live album versus mixing a studio album. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you approach that? What's what's your you know what's the focus? Do you try to recreate the performance? Do you try to do you want it? To, is it a hybrid between the studio and the live thing? How how does how do you approach that? That's a good question. That's going to vary between the artists. It really comes down to what the artist wants. You know, some artists want the, uh, you know, maximum, I guess, maximum sound quality. They want the performance as pristine as possible. So, you know, they might, uh, I might go for uh, going through and say, okay, well, basically do a show comp where we'll say, okay, we're going to use, uh, uh, we're going to use, uh, Nowadays, I often get an entire tour on a on a hard drive. So say here's here's our European tour. <laughs> Figure it out. Figure it yeah. out. Yeah. Wow. Here's our European tour. Can you? Uh, we're going to go through this, and um, you know, in some uh, situation like that, I'll take band notes. You know, because they'll all listen. I'll say, "What do you feel was the best nights?" And I'll look for the common look for the common nights where you know this is singer. I'll say, "I really." felt good this night. Right. Guitar player might say, oh, I felt good that night. And I'll look for the intersecting ones and then comp the show from there and then let them hear it in rough mix form. What do you think of these performances? So I guess that's the most important thing is to have the performances down that they're comfortable and then blend it all. I said, you get bleed, let's say, where you're using one instrument from one performance, another instrument from another. You- We're talking about using whole songs from each. Whole night, songs. Right? Uh, I, I've been in situations where I'll put a, uh, uh, I'll take a, a piece, but generally it's a small segment. If there's okay. something where, uh, you know, I wouldn't take like a major, so Frankenstein major, and- no, not a major, like say major drum track or something like that. But again, with the, I've been fortunate. A lot of the bands I work with are, are pretty consistent night to night. So if there's something where uh, there's a there's a clam in one of the songs, I can probably cut a bar in. Mm-hmm. Especially now with the way consoles are, with oh, yeah. you know the the gain structures are set at the beginning of the tour and everything is the same. Mm-hmm. So you know, literally, I can cut in a bar from another show and it goes. It goes are most of the live albums that you've done are the shows to click, or are they usually not to click? They are to click, which makes it they a are. easier. Too. Yeah, it makes it much easier. How, how do you deal with the vocal in terms of um, isolation? And the reason why I ask that is one of the best engineers i know for doing live is meticulous about taking out everything around the vocal except the vocal itself so he goes in and he edits out all the leakage do you go to those to that extent i gain ride it so yes okay. but i don't if if i take it right out i, I find the pulsing of the ambience changing mm. kind of makes me crazy yeah so i what i will do is i'll do gain rides very 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 tight in what about the tone of the instruments? Do you is that the tone that was set up there at the tour, or do you control the tone and maybe change it or brighten or whatever in the tone in the actual instruments? It, 
can be more specific. Okay, like for guitar, instance, I mean, um, guitar or even like Getty's bass on like R40. There's some songs where there's some growl in there, and uh-huh. it's just it's really aggressive. Uh-huh. Um, and and I'm you're thinking, okay, was was that was it that growly on okay. the on the tour? R40 R40 was actually one that I had a uh, I was working with Dream Theater, so Dave Bottrell mixed R40. Uh, I got you. so I did Dream. I, I was doing the Dream Theater studio album. I did Arthur. I did Snakes and Arrows live. That's right. The Snakes and Arrows. Um, but even then, on that one, for mm-hmm. instance, um, is that that tone that you hear for Getty's bass or yep. for Alex's guitar? Mm-hmm. Is, was that what was happening there, or do you or do you do do you ever come in and go, you know what, we need a little more blah? You know? um, as far as reamping, say guitars, no, that doesn't happen. Um, if there is an issue, say, uh, well. You know what, Al, a lot of times he'll, he'll, he'll have a direct signal. He'll use a Palmer, uh, Palmer speaker simulator and a DI mm. and it's DI. So that's not going to, um, that's not going to change as far as say mic placement goes. Uh, when I did, uh, uh I think it was Snakes and Arrows Live, I put some mics up as well. I, I tended to use the mics. So, but it's, it depends on the placement, you know, what, what his right. tone settings are, if, you know, if he's a little too center cone, then I'll roll off high end. Like I'll EQ them, but not, not totally modern. Not so totally modern. And, and, and Ged uses three channels for, for his bass. There's three different channels. And so it literally, it becomes a balancing act of he's got one channel that's, that's, that's pretty crunchy. Right. So when you hear those changes, it's just that channel being turned up and down. Would you ever, especially if you do a surround mix or uh-huh. even a stereo, would you ever use like a decatree or would you ever use ambient mics? middle audience or by the mix console. So to get that completely, completely, um, with the, with rush, there was a set of 10 mics that were in the venue laid back from, uh, uh, stage front all the way down to, I had a, a Blumline pair over top of the sound man high up, but over top. And that was common for the, for the rear speakers. That's the, one of the ones I would default to because there was, <clears throat> had a really good ambience, really good ambience. And, it was minimal, actually minimal slap and high end, you know, not a lot of high end artifacts, uh, from, from the venue. So that was pretty common that I would use those. And sometimes depending on how big the venue was, I'd have to kind of advance the tracks a bit because you get this. Are we using cardioids or omnis? Uh, the mics down the sides are omnis. The pair, the pair, the blonde lines were figure eights. So oh, okay. Let me ask you about Dream Theater, working with those guys. I mean, that's another power group and the guitar and, and just the sound. I mean, you work with a lot of groups where there's a lot of power. I mean, you're I mean, these bands have power. Aerosmith, Rush, you know, Dream Theater and and doing the live one, you know, to me it's just it would it's just all this energy that you're having to, to manage. It's the coffee <laughs> consumption. It does that. <laughs> <laughs> But what's your, what's your approach working with them and and they're they're the approach for 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 dream theater I mean they they reproduce they reproduce what they do in the studio so that's that's really what their their essence is right but they they're all really great players so it's uh I leave them alone and let them do their thing. I just like to, bl- I, I just blend it. It's, I don't really change what they do. It's the same sort of, uh, it's a same evaluation process. Right. Here guys, take your rough mixes. Let's all agree on which versions we're using where. 
and uh, and let's put the show together. You know, and sometimes it's just you know we're going to do it's one show. You know, sometimes we'll put it together. We've done a number of projects together, and it's it turns out to be one show. And you know, it's they know how they they really know how to play. So it's it's, it's I'd like to say it's, it's 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 a lot of work, but it's not difficult. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's you know what they do know how to play. I mean, just the way they can control their dynamics yeah. and the way they can just their phrasing and oh, it's 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 amazing. It's yeah. it's so progressive. <laughs> <laughs> Rob's a big fan. <laughs> yeah, I'll just say, Mike, you are a troublemaker. You know that, right? <laughs> Thank you. Not a progressive fan, <laughs> huh? <laughs> yeah, ask Rob about progressive rock. <laughs> we've, we've had classic you, you, discussions. You don't like searching any time there, Rob. <laughs> I'm a Richard Chickie fan. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, we had a great email string when I was sending the email out about the podcast. It oh, was, no. It was Not really that good. <laughs> Rob, Rob and I have had classic. Yeah. We've had arguments on air about between Scott and Robin. Progressive nice. Rock. Am I not being very well behaved tonight? You are Everyone so awesome. No, no. Actually, Thank you. You are. I mean, part of it's the medication, but you know, I'll <laughs> yeah. take credit where I can get. It. I'm, I'm almost a little disappointed. I'll be honest. You're being very restrained. I'm having a very nice time. This is a great conversation. <laughs> so I was gonna say when when doing five one and and live ambiences, mm-hmm. especially with bands that you know have a lot of low end, a lot of you know heavy. I'm not sure the word grunge, but in other words, it's easy to get muddy yeah. and undistinguished. The yeah. playing's amazing, but the hall itself could be detrimental to the clarity of what's happening live. Yeah. So is it that using a lot of direct mics combined with ambient mics to find that? That's exactly it. That's okay. exactly what it is. And in, in surround, uh, for the way I mix live uh, surround, I, I like to have... I like it to be visually coherent where the, you know, I, I'm not going to put the guitars behind me or right. any sort of that. It, I use, I use the, uh, surround. I, I use the ambience is very prevalent in the rear, you know, and it's just a, it, a lot of it comes to EQing the room. Yeah. I was going to say, going to be EQing yeah. the, the room a lot, compressing it, you Compre- know, compressing the room, compress, not, not smashing. It's not yeah. smash compressing it, but getting it. So, it's controlled. Control. So, sure. so yeah. it just becomes a controlled element that I can add, you know, I can add, you know, to, uh, if I want to emphasize crowd response, you know, all that sort of stuff. Sure. Are, are you miking the crowd or is it just coming in from the ambience mics that you have? Well, there's, there's five pairs of ambience mics. So just by nature of that, it's yeah. You're picking it up, picking yeah. up a lot of crowd. And did you find that there are some venues or some physical rooms you go, I love that room. It just really sings with the band better. Yes. And let's really make sure that I'd love to use that room for the recording. Yes. And, and that's something where the, that becomes a uh, discussion with the band where, you know, I'll listen to something. I say, I really like this, the way this room sounds and nobody likes any of their performance. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> sure. you know, there's, there is that where you go, okay, well there's, there's what I like. And then there's <laughs> what the people that pay me like. Right. So you now, know, did you it, go out and record it as well, or just get the? Uh, I have before. I have. I, uh, as far as um, I haven't recorded any of the Dream Theater uh, live uh, uh, live albums, but I have recorded some of the Rush ones. Huh. So Dream Theater, I think it was their second DVD. I think um, I was working at a post house, uh-huh. and 
I got to mix all the bonus material for wow. that. Mm-hmm. And that's how nice. actually I found the band. And then I got to do the layback. So I got the I got the stems from the music guy. So I don't know if you worked on that if you were working on them back there. This would have been around two thousand and four ish, somewhere around there. No, then. probably well it depends which was was a score? Uh, I you know what? Yeah, I, I think it was the one when they were in Japan. I think or I don't know, I'll have to remember. But I it did was, some I did some repair work. Uh, there was some there was a mic issue. And I can't remember, I think it was score, but I, I had done some work with uh, Labrie because there were holes in his vocal performance. Wow. And there were like tons of little holes because he was having problems with his wireless mic that went unnoticed. They were small enough that they went unnoticed live, but there were these, th- you know, little <laughs> bits. So we'd have to go through and we just re-recorded little wow. lines. So I just thought it was when I when I got to do the layback and I was in a five one I I just thought it was a there was just a really good mix and that's when I actually that was the first time I even heard of the band and then that was like oh my goodness because they were so good and it was so tight and then all I remember is just seeing um, Portnoy just spitting all the time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's Portnoy that'd be before my time. I haven't worked with. <laughs> yeah, that. that that that's that's all. That's that's when I got. Then I found out that was a thing. He just likes to spit all the time. Uh, so you remember the band because of mucus? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mucus. Yeah, mm. and it was my. It was actually the first five one music project that I had and ever been involved in. So it was actually really cool. Um, but uh, yeah, Dream Theater is was pretty awesome. Let me. I got to ask you a real quick question. Um, when you're working with with Mike and and the kit and and his kit, and you're, you're working on these mega kits with Pert mm-hmm. and, and his kit, what do you find are some of the most challenging things? Is it, is it all the open mics? Is it just making sure you know you get proper gain on all the you know little drums and all the little stuff that's phase, around? Phase, phase is the most important thing for the core for the core microphones. Um, I like to have everything equidistant from the from the snare. So that the imaging doesn't shift, right? So it's just important that I can. So if I want to use the overheads as more of a uh, a fill for the kit to to round it out, then that that's that's an important thing. As far as the toms go, I I have my assistant go through and he does rides for all the tom hits. Drives them nuts. There's only twelve drums and they're hit a lot. So he goes through and he rides everything because gates. Yeah, I don't want chattering. I don't want you know, right, right. You set you want you know if if there's a symbol nearby, don't want it set really. Uh, you don't so you're want taking th- out everything when they're not when not everything. I I take them down fifteen or twenty dB in between, so it's still there. Sure, still there. So again, so it's kind of like the vocal thing that we talked about. So it doesn't it doesn't feel unnatural, but the the drums come in and they leave. And as far as uh, any of the uh, uh, mics on on any of the smaller symbols, right. Um, I end up EQing them quite a bit. I'll take out all the low end grunge that's in there. So, so all I have is the actual symbols in there. So phase becomes less of an issue. Wow. But for a kit, like, um, uh, depending on how the drummer sets up his kit, you know, Neil's kit is uh, a little bit more difficult just because the way it's set up and, and it's a little more difficult to get mics in and stay out of any, any of the, the strike range or if, you know, symbols are going to be flopping after he hits them that don't need him to hit Mike. So it's, it takes a little bit more work to get it out of the strike zone for his kit. Wow. That's, but more mics is better. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel sorry for your assistant having to do all those on the top. It's, it's awful, isn't it? Oh, wow. Sorry about that, Jimmy T. 
<laughs> I just see a new plugin. <laughs> that's, that's right. Auto ride. Auto neutron. <laughs> Um, wow. Well, hey, listen, uh, as much as I'd love to just pick your brain more and more, we're going to have to start wrapping this up. But uh, So can I interject? Can I use my time right now to ask Ben a question about you as a child? <laughs> sure. <laughs> you didn't say there was a time limit on this. You've been thinking about this the whole time. <laughs> no, it just occurs to me. So, Ben, so your brother is such an obvious fanboy, right? Yes. <laughs> and he's so into this. When he was little, did he ever dress up as his favorite band? Or and, and like flock oh. of seagulls haircut would count like <laughs> any anything along that those lines. Oh, you know, and if he I, dressed up like the Supremes, that's okay too. <laughs> We're not judging. No, we don't judge. Judgment free zone. No, no he actually he did not. No, he did he not. not. Did he have the no. t-shirts though? Uh, no, the closest really? thing he ever did because he was the big Rush fan was um, every drum he ever owned was in his kit. So when we played in a band <laughs> together as kids. I think he he had the drum set that had the gigantic flutes that came out. Remember that drum set? And, oh, wow. Uh, he, North we drums. would drag that thing around to all the little gigs we had, and then he would add <laughs> 15 different cymbals. And, yeah, I mean, that was – we didn't have a gong. If we had a gong, then for sure. But, no, he didn't do the – because he was actually a geek head when he was a kid, and he never – he always asked for toys – so that he can take them apart for the insides. All right. So he's one of those rare musician guys that also loves the the the, the machinery. So yeah. So All I, right. I, I can't throw him under the bus. I'm well, sorry. Well, that was not nearly <laughs> as embarrassing as I was hoping for. <laughs> no, the only I guess the most embarrassing thing is that actual drum set with those great fantastic. You know, you got any pictures scoops. of that? We should post pictures. Those were that. North drums. Yeah. North drums. They were white. Oh, and they had that. Yeah, they yeah, had yeah, the yeah. little scoop out. Yeah, wow. and and I'll tell you, I was, glass, right? I was, yeah, I was a huge exactly, and I was a huge Neil Peart fan. And um, <laughs> Neil Peart is is probably responsible for uh, more sales of a go-go bells than any other percussionist <laughs> out there. You know, because of uh, the YYZ exit stage left um, drum solo, which is like an amazing drum solo. Yeah. Um, but uh, well, you know that you. one, Rob, right? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> what were you saying about us being done, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, I want to thank my brother for not uh, embarrassing me. <laughs> I'm <getting> <laughs> uh, I will say, Rush was the first concert I ever went to, and it was amazing. It was like it was. I I and I told this story before. It's like I remember going to Rush. I remember walking past the tour buses and thinking. I would love to do that. That would be the most amazing thing in the world would be able to tour. Would be, and this was, you know, I was as close to being an astronaut as I was to touring at the time, <laughs> you know, it could have gone either way. Um, and so I'll just never forget that, that first concert, that whole thing. And then the first time I was on a bus, just, just, I, I remembered that whole incident. It's like how crazy life is, yeah. you know, you just never know. But yeah, but, Richard, thank you so much for joining us. Well, this thanks is, for having me. This has been really great. And um, if you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. That's audio at nowcastnetwork.com. And uh, before we go, it's just really quick. Rob, you working on anything that you can talk about that's fun and exciting? Well, what the audience may not know is we did our previous podcast just a few days ago. So, no, not much. I've had a shower and a couple good nights sleep <laughs> <That's true. laughs> since the last one. So, no, not, not much new to report. But it's good to see you all. <laughs> Scott, how about you? In the last three days, anything change? <laughs> um, well, I think the uh, first episode of The Strain went on air. That's right. But nobody saw it because it was Game of Thrones night. So, yeah. Mm. But, um, no, Strain came out. And now we're uh, 10 episodes, the last 10. 
Great. I'm on the last one now. Wow. So I've got three more weeks. Wow. Michael, it's good to see you. You working on anything uh, in, in your I, studio? Uh, I am mixing a live theater show this summer. Wow. Cool. Nice. And uh, as a matter of fact, I got word yesterday that not only that, we're going to record it, multi-track record it, and shoot three-camera video of it next wow. week. So it's it'll be fun. Richard, I'll, I'll also just mention Michael's also down here because uh, we've done a lot of uh, production work together down here in LA and uh, down here exploring some more things we're going to be doing in the future. So nice. it's been really cool, cool having him down here. Well, that's great. Very cool. Awesome. Richard, what about you? I'm uh, working on a project called Into the Great Divide. It's a uh, artist named Zach Allen, and it's a, go figure, progressive. <laughs> so just, uh, just working through that right now, I'm about... 80% done. We're just getting uh, some getting some uh, dialogue put in, some narration, and have to wrap that up. Oh, it's great. I'm mm -hmm. looking forward to that. It's nice and light. Mike Mangini played on it. So it's, Wow. Yeah. We did it up at uh, we did, uh, did it up at Dave Grohl's place up at 606. So it's it's nice and light, easy listening. It's all in 13.8, Rob. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> uh, you got to send Rob a copy when it's all done. That's all I... <laughs> Anyone could do thirteen eight. I want to hear it that's done right. in eight thirteen. That's right. It's 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 tuned to four thirty nine and a half. <laughs> <Excellent>. <laughs> that, that was another yeah. topic of our yeah, dinner, of, of dinner, dinner conversation, right. which was, was the uh, tuning standard. Oh, I see. A four forty versus a a four four forty two versus a four thirty two versus a four thirty eight. Wow. And there's massive sounded, history. You must have sounded like freaks I, at dinner. I was going huh? <laughs> to The people around say, us. Can you imagine? The people around you. Hey, how about that 432? <laughs> <laughs> 437. <laughs> That's the devil's frequency. <laughs> uh, uh, have you used the mug EQ? Heaven's <laughs> mug. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, hey, I just want to tell everybody, if you're ever in Burbank and you hear a really weird conversation on a Tuesday or Wednesday night around 6.30, you're probably sitting next to the audio podcast. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> That's a good chance. That's a good chance. Uh, Bobby, how about you? What are you working on in uh, the last three days? Well, actually, there is something. The album that I was supposed to start in January is now starting pre-production now, so that that's a good thing. So that's kind of fun. So. That's the only thing that, that's new <laughs> in, in, in that period of time, though. How about you? Um... <laughs> <laughs> Not much has changed in the last <laughs> podcast. I'll be honest. I'm He's still, taking his rush shirt off now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still uh, editing uh, spaces. That's that's fun. That's going to be fun. And you know, you know how there's some um, shows that are produced on the internet and they have really high production quality and they're just put together so smooth and and just buttery, you know, smooth edits. And this isn't one of them. <laughs> <laughs> this is not one of them. <laughs> Seriously, we opened the series. I'm just going to give you this. I opened the series with me returning the rental car in London. And it was the most stressful three days of my life <laughs> driving in England. Trying to return a car, a rental car in London, <laughs> took me two hours. Because they're all one way. <laughs> 
I, I just wanted to run from the car. I just wanted to like, it was so stressful. And that's, and that same trip, I, I actually hit one of those double decker buses with the mirror. Thank God it was just the mirror because I, and I had mentioned the speaker because the, you know, in, in America, you sit and then you have the rest of the car is all on your right side. But when you go to England, you sit and the big, cars on your left side and you're just not spatially you're not used to that Mm -hmm. at least i wasn't meanwhile that's like the most english thing you can do you're driving (laughs) on the left side and hitting a double-decker bus did you have like a fish and chips in your lap too (laughs) (laughs) that's that's the most english thing i've heard well and a curry in the other hand it was was crazy it was uh, the best thing about driving in england is they the European drivers, they know how to drive, right? You you stay in the slow lane, you're in the slow lane, and you pass in the fast lane. And it was because we were driving out to Wales and when we went to Rockfield Studios and all these great studios out there. And it was like, you know, and if, if you're not doing it right, they will politely flash their brights and then you move over, you know? I mean, you do that here, forget it. It's just, you'll get all kinds of fingers pointing at you. <laughs> <laughs> and guns, too, yeah, yeah. in certain places. <laughs> but anyhow, yeah, I've been working on that. That's been really fun. It's, it's going to be really, really, well, it'll be interesting. That's all I'm going to tell people. Um, you can, uh, if you check out our uh, Instagram feed at Audio Nowcast, you'll see two frame grabs from the, the New York episode, so it'll be kind of cool. Anyway, that's about it. And once again, I want to thank uh, Richard, uh, for uh, come on, let's give it yeah. a round oh, yeah, yeah. for joining us, and it's been really fun. So, if you want to get in touch with us, or if you want to send any kind of uh, message, is there a way that uh, you, have, you have a website, right, and a Facebook page? Uh, yeah, uh, www.richardchicky.com. Nice, 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 and a little Facebook thingy is on that page. So, do you uh, do you interact with fans a lot? Do you? I do. Okay, I do. Great. So at least you're going to get probably another letter or two from the podcast. <laughs> Considering we have seven listeners, I'm yeah. sure one of them will. <laughs> Plus the 30 you'll get from Mike. So you'll be busy. That's right. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, for myself and all the guys, uh, thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. See ya. you doing? Thanks for listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and West Wave Audio. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Ha, 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 ha.